I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town Podcast. In episode 129 of the Food About Town Podcast, Tristan Sandvoss from First Light Creamery uh, joined me remotely to talk about the new initiative they're working on called Cheese Care Package. You can find it at cheesecarepackage.com, get some amazing local products. But we talked all about First Light making uh, goat milk-based products, their new production facility, and just got to learn more about him and talked about some amazing cheeses that I got in my cheese care package. So it's a great opportunity to support some local producers doing great things. So check out that on their website. And hope you enjoy this episode with Tristan. Uh, another one coming up soon with uh, my good friend Chris Clemens and Matt Antinor from Rochester Foodnet. So stay tuned for more content from me as we go through our uh, coronavirus crisis. And uh, I've got a little more time to work on stuff. So enjoying recording more. Got one coming up with uh, my, my friend uh, Magnus Champlin as well. So stay tuned for more from the Food About Town podcast and enjoy this episode. back with another remote edition of the food about town podcast and this time edging a little farther out towards buffalo my hometown um why don't you introduce yourself sir i'm tristan samvoss owner of first light farm and creamery so you are part and i, I recall it was two of you was it you and your brother yeah so my brother and i started this uh back in 2009 um, we had this crazy idea. We we're going to make goat cheese, um, which long story as to how we ended up in Western New York, but, um, the, which we'll, we'll dabble version, in, of course, <laughs> short version is we, it, it was, uh, back in 2009, it was the two of us, 17 goats and this idea that we we're going to make fresh goat cheese. Yeah. So that's what we did. And, uh, it built slowly over time. Uh, met you at the farmer's market. That's how we built our business. Yeah. Going to Buffalo and Rochester farmer's markets. Yeah. So, um, well, just, just so we, uh, get this, get this up front and then we'll, we'll touch on it a few more times talking about specifics. But, uh, one of the things you're doing in, you know, the time of coronavirus is, um, you've got a cheese care box, that concept that you're working on. Why don't you describe that before we get rolling, then we'll dive into a whole bunch of other stuff. Sure. So, you know, we sell cheese all over the country, um, and obviously many of those markets are affected by the situation that we're all in. Um, so we have wonderful cheese that's in our aging caves. Uh, we make a huge range of cheeses, um, and when that cheese is mature and ready to enjoy, uh, it doesn't know what's going on in the world, right? So we created Cheese Care Package, uh, which is opening up our caves, letting our master cheesemakers select what is ultimately ripe that day, and send it out to you at the peak of flavor. So cheese care package, the idea is you can enjoy it with those folks that you're isolated with, if that's the case. You can send it to someone who's isolated, who needs some, some love, um, and you're getting an experience which you literally can't get any, anywhere else. Um, it's the flagship cheeses that we make, and then also R&D cheeses that we haven't even released to the public yet. These are cheeses you can only try if you're a cheesemaker or related to a cheesemaker. But this is the experience we can give everybody right now. Well, it's cheesecarepackage.com. We send you everything to make a decadent cheese board at your in your own house. Yeah, and it's I, I want to dive into all the things that we tasted because I think it's I think what we got was a really fascinating selection of how you can experience cheese. And I have a couple I have I have tasting notes. I have a couple additions I made to the board that uh, from the package that got sent as well. Uh, so I want to talk yeah. through that a little bit. Um, but let's let's jump back to back to the history. So one, where where are you located? Where where is the farm? So First Light Farm and Creamery was started in 2009 in East Bethany, New York, which is in Genesee County. Uh, it was the the reason we ended up there is my. Uh, family had relocated to Western New York. My father passed away when I was young. My mother remarried a dairy farmer from Genesee County. Um, and when my brother and I got this crazy idea that we we're going to make goat cheese, uh, 
we thought we were going to do that in the Pacific Northwest originally, which is where we were living at the time, the two of us. And very, and, very on brand for the uh, Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, this this uh, wonderful guy who's my stepfather, uh, he, he said, hey, look, I've been farming in this area for three generations. Um, I know dairy, um, and I know that no one is doing what you guys have in mind to make fresh goat cheese in this specific area. Sure, there was goat cheese in New York State, but no one was doing it where we ended up in Genesee County. So unique spot because we could service both Rochester and Buffalo, sort of equidistant from both, um, and then had the opportunity to work with a you know, farmer who had been farming in that area for so long. So all the local knowledge, all the equipment, that really played into uh, us getting a leg up right off the bat. Pretty great. Yeah, well, I think it's you're right because there's there's some producers in the Finger Lakes, but when it comes to position, sure. when you're talking about that distance between Buffalo and Rochester, and having been in both areas, you know, I grew up closer to the country in Buffalo than the city, but with such, and I, I think it's something we've you know people have talked about before, but the divergent culinary scenes of both towns, I'm sure it had to be interesting mm-hmm. as you started to started to grow, started to go to the farmers market see how both areas um, both areas embrace the cheese. I'm, I'm sure it was a little bit different in both spots. Yeah, you know, it's funny when we, like you said, we started in the Pacific Northwest where the artisanal cheese movement was just, just I mean, I'm really, where we are right now is where we were 10 years ago in the Pacific Northwest mm. uh, in the general sort of knowledge of it. Uh, when I first came to Western New York and started exploring the cheese scene, you know, uh the, the the what was out there uh, just was not as diverse as it is today. Um, so our experience bringing it to those towns, we we had a lot of education to do with folks just about the differences between goat cheese and cheese that they would regularly enjoy otherwise. Uh, you know, it it has such a unique quality. It is the most consumed milk on the planet. Uh, but in Buffalo and Rochester, there was a big piece which was just sort of having that interaction with customers. We did 10 farmer's markets a week our first summer. 10? Buffalo and Rochester and Genesee County. Wow. Yeah, 10. <laughs> well, and it's, well I, think and, that's, I think it's an important point, though, is that, um, is that an artisanal goat cheese made from a small farm is a drastically different product because what most people would have generally gotten for goat cheese, other than at a very few selection of restaurants, is... A commercial Very level true. product yeah. that is basically just pure right. creaminess. And it would have been in a specific dish because the dish you would have seen it in is by and large a roasted beet salad. And you'd get a very essentially a very dumbed down version of what a what a craft product is. It has very little character and it really just functions as, you know, creaminess with maybe a touch of tang to it. Right. And, and so people had that experience and then understood that all goat cheese was that, right? Because if they'd had that limited exposure and say it wasn't the best experience, then they'd go, I don't like goat cheese. That's what they arrived at. And what we had to do was say, that's not necessarily true. It may be true, but you don't like the goat cheese you've had before. And when it comes fresh off a small farm, you know, the total distance that this milk was traveling, you know, it was, it was processed immediately after it was milked. Um, that that experience of fresh goat cheese like that is unlike what you'll get with commercially, you know, industrial goat cheese. It's yeah. much more delicate. It's much more perishable. Well, <laughs> and it's, it, yeah, what's, it, 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 is it a reflection of what's going on in the farm that day? That's how specific it is. Yeah, yeah. well, let's let, let's talk about that because when you're talking about something like this, your product, the you know, your flagship product is is Chev, which is a fresh goat's cheese. It's, you know, very, it it's, been. that is true. Yeah. And it's, that that's the flagship product. And that's, we'll, we'll talk about a whole bunch of different cheeses that are made as well uh, from, from goat as well as other, uh, other dairy milks. But the, mm-hmm. the flagship product is the chef. And that's what you'll find in, if you're seeing first light in a grocery store or in other locations, you're going to see the chef first and foremost in any number of different flavors from, you know, the, the regular to a garlic to, uh, you know, other flavors that are going on. Um, but, Let's talk about Chev as a product and what goes into mm-hmm. making that versus a aged cheese, which is what most people end up eating. Right, right. So uh, a lot of people, when they think goat cheese, they think of Chev. Uh, Chev is the French word for goat. It is the one that is most commonly consumed. Um, and it is 
there, but there's a huge range of what falls under the category of chef mm. in terms of the way that the cheese is actually made. Um, and, uh, you know, it has been a flagship for us because it was something that for the uh, size and scale that we built in East Bethany made a ton of sense. It was a small plant that could process very, very quickly, meaning we had super, super fresh milk. Um, and then we could get that to the public very, very quickly the same week. So you would be, you know, experiencing what was going on in the farm because goat's milk is naturally seasonal. Um, the cheese that we would make in the spring was a reflection of the fact that the animals had just come into spring flush or just had their offspring and started producing milk at the beginning of their lactation. Well, that had to be a very um, has to be a very interesting at, conversation, though, too. Not not to jump in, but it has to be a very interesting conversation to have with people, where the expectation when they see a product with a label is that mm-hmm. they're expecting a hundred percent consistency all the time. Right. Which again, you have to build your model for the market you're going to fill, right? So talking to customers and explaining that, that's something we could do at the beginning because we were out there. We could explain it. Um, but you're right. That is not the general you know, experience that people have at the grocery store. And as we've gotten bigger, we've had to address that issue with different folks that are interested in our cheese. Um, but again, um, you know, the story that we tell, which I've done in many different ways over the years, <laughs> I'm sure teaching, you're bringing people to the farm to explaining at a farmer's market, lots of different strategies, but essentially what is at its root is think of the raw ingredient that we're using when we make cheese. Um, milk is this incredible, literally life-giving substance. By that, I mean every mammal produces it and feeds their offspring when they can't consume anything else. So the baby goat that was born on our farm in February in Western New York maybe at two o'clock in the morning, maybe it was minus 30 degrees outside, typical for us. Everybody knows this time. Of course. And the difference for us is we might be awake at that time in the barn because a a mother goat was giving birth and we would attend every single delivery at the start. And when that baby goat was born, and, and if you don't know, goats are incredibly prolific, um, for your listeners, Typically, they don't have a single kid. A baby goat is called a kid. They have multiples, twins, triplets, quadruplets, quintuplets sometimes. Really? I didn't know that. So, yeah. So this milk literally was their lifeline when they were born at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was really cold outside. You know, they came into the world the way all of us do, right? Wet and cold. Mm-hmm. And they're an animal that would normally be a, a good meal for a predator. So this milk warms them, gives them the energy that they need to get up on their feet, which they do incredibly quickly, and literally to survive that very immediate triage situation. So that's our raw ingredient, right? That's what we're using as cheesemakers. So what an incredible, incredible gift that we have to be able to interpret that product. So what's coming off the farm that day is so much and the cheese that's on your plate, there's so much more to that story than just the flavor profiles, right? There's, there's a whole backstory to it. There's all the people that contributed to that process, all the animals that contributed to that process. It's a really, you know, complex process, uh, but one that at its root is, you know, like I said, changes day to day, just like our situation now, right? Yeah. Um, there isn't a day on the farm that where there isn't some something we're sorting out, some new circumstance we have to sort out. So, um, this is the situation we're in now is very analogous to what we do all the time in farming and, and cheese making, adapting. Yeah, well, I think it's you're, you're right. Adaption is a big part of it. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is something that, you know, comes up both with our current situation and with how I think is a great way to look at the world in general is respect. Um, like personally, I've been eating a lot. Of, I've been eating 95 percent plus vegan in my life personally. Uh, but there's the people that I ended up consuming anything extra from is places that treat the whole process with respect. They're treating their animals with respect. They're treating the ingredients that they use with as much respect as is possible. And when we're looking at the world now, treating people with respect for who they are and the struggles that they're having, um, it, it's so important for how we see the world 
but it all digests down to consuming things from places that respect the process, respect their animals. And that's what we're talking about here too. Everything about what you just said is, is really, it's just describing respect in many more words and with a lot more flesh on it, on the bones, of course. But that's, that's what really what you're talking about. We all have the opportunity to look at the situation that is in front of us and have a positive or negative approach to it, right? Um, and treating the experience that we all have with respect um, is the thing that allows you to be positive about it. So, you know, in these moments of disruption, there are opportunities. Um, you know, for example, my wife and I are at home and splitting time between making sure that the creamery still runs, the farm still runs, um, and the products get made, the people stay employed, the animals are taken care of, all of those things. But we're also spending more time together as a family than really we ever have. I have two young children, uh, 18 months and four years old. And what an incredible thing that we're getting right now to have the opportunity to commune with the, the folks that we are isolated with to some extent. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an incredible opportunity. And you know, the ripple effects of what we're going through right now, will they'll, they'll go on for months, years, decades. I mean, but in this moment that we're all living through, we can choose to have an approach to that. We can, you know, take the opportunity to make conscious decisions about what we eat, what we're bringing into our house. So I think it, it, it presents a really good opportunity for the local food movement with as long as we can communicate to those folks the importance of what you know what we're doing and and why we think it's important and why we hope that they will as well yeah so that was a good diversion um <laughs> i, I want to go back to you know the actual process of taking taking this raw product that you so eloquently described and taking that from this rich you know intense um you know milk and taking that from there to um, what is, like you said, a fresh product. Um, what, what's the process that goes into that? Yeah, so this is another area that most people just never really learn about. Um, and it's a, it's a process of fermentation, which is, you know, a process of natural preservation, which human beings have employed in many different uh, foodstuffs, many different, you know, products that we've enjoyed over decades, uh, excuse me, centuries and centuries. Um, but what we're doing in the case of cheese is we are using beneficial probiotics that exist in our environment already. Uh, we didn't select them. They selected us. They are present in the milking environment. They have a very important role to play in the breakdown or fermentation of milk into curds and whey, uh, whether that happens in a natural digestive situation, like a goat consuming the milk, or if we're turning it into something else. So what we're doing is harnessing the power of fermentation by selecting for those beneficial probiotics that are going to give flavor profiles, texture profiles, and experiences with that cheese that we just push that milk in the right direction. The fermentation process does most of the work for us. So that's cheese making. Interesting. So when it comes to the actual enzymes you know, that are being used, it's, it's a fascinating process. I mean, when you're, you're taking a milk and, you know, the enzymes that are either around or being, being used, then you've got your, your curds that are created and then filtering and how much water goes out of them and how it's processed after kind of determines what cheese you end up making in the end in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities in terms of the actual probiotics that you're using the enzymes that you're using are tend to be pretty darn consistent. Um, what you're choosing is the amount. Mm. You're choosing the environment. Um, and when you select that environment, you are really selecting for aspects of those probiotics to exhibit themselves in the milk and the cheese, ultimately. Um, so really more than anything, um, we are stewards of the process um, and then making those decisions along the way that, can change something from a fresh, high moisture cheese into something that's going to continue to improve and really, you know, is going to be at its height 12 months from the day it was made or more. Mm. Well, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting when I hear you describe it, 
when you're talking about, you know, the natural flora and fauna, you're talking about the aging potential of it. It's so analogous to, to winemaking in a lot of ways. When you hear about a natural product that's changed into something through processing, uh, and it's a matter of, you know, how it is processed and, you know, where is where does it sit? How What's the environment that it sits in? And all that goes mm-hmm. into um, what ends up being a completely diversely different product, um, which gives sort of the vision, too. Yeah, and, and we're always, you know, innovating, always looking at ways that we might make improvements to our process that are you know, number one, you know, consistency of flavor on our products, even though we have a changing milk, milk source. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, you know, the the second piece of that, um, you know, is to improve our efficiency of process. And when we improve our efficiency of process, sometimes we end up making a different cheese. (laughs) We have one idea of the way that the cheese is going um, and then find something as we're working through that fermentation that takes us in a direction we didn't expect. So right now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to focus on those cheeses that reach their peak, right? And then see if we can move that peak out through efficiencies in our process, right? More aged cheeses, you know, once the world changes again, uh, we're going to have some amazing cheese that's been aging for a longer period of time than we expected it to in the first place. Well, I think that's, that's a great thing. I was, um, I'll mention them again in a little bit. I was talking to one of my friends here in town and we were talking about entrepreneur, you know, being an entrepreneur in this, um, in this time, and in that there's there is a lot of opportunity right now for people who are willing to be passionate and be transparent and talk about all the you know the positives, the negatives through this you know through this whole experience that we're dealing with, and how there's a lot of opportunity for people to do great things right now to create something like you said, that's going to take more time and having this time to do some beneficial aging, do those kind of things um, and bring it to the public in times where, you know, delightful things are, you know, nice bright light. Um, how apparent it is when people are really just trying to um, blatantly profit off of it without having that, that real authenticity to the process. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a lot of opportunity for people who care about what they're doing right now. Right. Well, it's, um, you know, in disruption, there's opportunity, of course, and we're using this, like I said, you know, I have many, many employees at this point. So I understand, you know, the, the, the moment that we're living through. And then in the next, next breath, I have to figure out how everybody's going to stay employed. Right. So there's a practical aspect to this, right. Which is, how do we still keep everything moving in the right direction, short term, medium term? How do we change our processes to affect for it? And then long term, you know, that is to be revealed. We, we're, we're betting, uh, you know, that this will come back. Our world will come back um, and people are going to be making more conscious choices at, on the other side about the businesses they're supporting. Right. Because um, those that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Because you actually. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is you actually have a, a new processing facility, a relatively new processing facility that you guys have built too as well, right? right? Yeah, there's there's uh, there's been a lot of changes. It's been a, a time of disruption already for our business after 12 years now, uh, and it's been ongoing for the last several years. Uh, we opened a new processing facility in Groton, New York uh, last August. We did that in partnership with several other creameries. Um, and we have this, an idea, um, all of us under one roof, which is to leverage our size by putting multiple small, well-known nationally known creameries under the same roof, uh, with the state of the art, best equipment farms that are located very close to that, that we support through taking, uh, all or most of their milk. Um, and then leveraging those fixed costs that otherwise are very expensive for small producers. So yeah, we've been uh, moving uh, in in a fast uh, direction towards uh, getting larger and embracing a, a slightly different model from what we've done in the past. Uh, so yeah, we, we are operating now in, in a facility in Groton, New York. So your scale, you mentioned, you know, you started with that small selection of goats. So your, your farm, how many goats are you up to now, you know, approximately? 
Um, so, you know, there's there's several different farms that we're sourcing. Yeah, from, uh, but but the main dairy um, is run by a retired Cornell professor. Uh, his name is Dr. David Galton. Uh, he taught uh, at Cornell and tenured professor for 30 years, retired early and then started doing what he taught for all those years. So he started a cow dairy with a couple young brothers who were uh, Cornell grads. Um, th- those were successful and then grew beyond that and started milking sheep and goats for creameries that were down in the Hudson Valley of New York. Um, and when we were getting bigger, when First Light had more pro- uh, had a demand for more products, we were at a point where we either had to greatly expand our own herd, mm-hmm. um, which is what we were looking to do at the time, um, or so- start a second farm or source from another farm. Very complicated, very important decisions. Again, when you think about the you know, the, the, the necessary qualities that we want in the milk coming off the farm. Um, and so we connected with this retired professor. He goes by Dave now that he's retired. He doesn't like to be called doctor anymore. <laughs> got, got a little um, more casual. That's right. <laughs> but didn't slow down, right? Sped up after retirement. Oh, of course. Um, and he, he started this uh, uh, goat dairy uh, called Shepherd's Way in Lock, New York. And it's just the, you know, leading edge of both modern practices, but also, you know, the best possible environment to create for those animals. So um, really an incredible opportunity came in front of us where um, Dave said, I'll milk, you make cheese, um, and just tell me what I need to produce, and we'll, we'll make it happen. So we're, we've been growing into the downturn uh, at every opportunity that we can find, uh, because we see that there's a, more and more of a need for this product. And, and you know, the the uh, creamery um, that we're under the same roof, we're, we're making uh, cheese with Old Chatham Creamery mm-hmm. and a new brand for Maja Trois cheese. Very clever. Uh, and Old Chatham Creamery is the most awarded sheep's milk brand in the United States. Um, and they, in 2019, um, right before we opened the new creamery, won number one and number two best in show cheeses at the American Cheese Society Awards. Wow. Um, there were 1,742 entries. Holy cow. Um, so, so to speak. <laughs> this is a really incredible creamery with amazing cheesemakers, amazing talent. Uh, so we were able to share that talent, be under one roof, and start turning out new products. Um, we've, we've been just have a, you know, just an incredible opportunity. I'm a kid in a candy store. Uh, <laughs> I've got all this wonderful equipment. I can make new kinds of cheese. One of the cheeses that um, I'm most excited about is a cheese that's made not just with goat's milk, but goat, sheep, and cow's milk. Mm. Uh, it's called Jatem. It's a, a bloomy ripened chev, essentially, um, but it is made in the style of Chauvers cheese, which is a traditional French style of cheese making. Um, and this particular make is inspired by a cheese that was the reason I started making goat cheese, which is a cheese called Humboldt Fog. Oh yeah, California. Yeah. No, that and, makes uh, sense. That makes sense in context now that you mentioned that, because it was, yeah. it's a very, I think it's a great, it's a great crossover. Um, we'll we'll dive into some of the other ones specifically too, but that one was it's, it's such a great crossover cheese because it's, it's got a relatively mild front. It's smooth. It's creamy, but it finishes with this with this kick for me, I I love blue. I love those kind of things. It finishes with this, this little bit of a kick that keeps you coming back for the next bite. It's just so enticing for people that love the, you know, the intensities that come with quality cheese making. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this one that if, if folks don't know, uh, Humboldt fog cheese is a cheese that's made in California and it's, uh, this showers cheese, it, it looks like a layer cake when you slice into it because it's essentially chev that has then been re-ripened with a white penicillium mold. So it, it's, it's both chev and sort of brie-style cheeses in one. Um, and they use vegetable ash on the outside of this cheese very traditionally. Originally, there was a very important reason for it. It, it makes the exterior of the cheese or what will become the rind of the cheese more basic, which creates a favorable growth environment for that white rind that you have on the outside of brie, white penicillium mold is what it is. Um, and then they actually had this line through the center of the cheese, making it look like a layer cake. 
Um, and that was specifically because this cheese was made over two days. So the first part of the cheese would be made, the top would be dusted with vegetable ash, and then the rest of the cheese would be made another day. Oh, that's so fascinating. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing with this cheese. It's made over two separate makes. The first make is a uh, ultra-filtered cow's milk, mm -hmm. which gives this part of the cheese a very like a triple cream, very buttery, uh, uh, acidic notes. Um, and then on day two, because I'm a kid in a candy store and I now have access to both sheep, goat, and cow's <laughs> milk, the second half of the cheese is a blend of sheep and goat that is made on the second day. And then those cheese, those that curd is put together. And in our case here, it's just in the shape of a heart and it's called je t'aime, um, uh, which means I love you in French. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the two layers are in fact different curds. So two different layers were made with three different types of milk, but one cohesive cheese when we go through that secondary growth of the, of the white rind. So it, I'm, I'm very proud of it. It is a cheese that I've had in mind since I started making cheese because Humboldt Fog was the inspiration for me making goat cheese in the first place. So it took me 12 years to get to this point, uh, but I'm really excited about that product. No, that's, that's, that's such a great description, too, because I think finding inspiration, you know, it, you're, you found inspiration in it, but you've also taken your twist on it. And you're not just you're not just blatantly copying something. It's it's evocative of the style, but you're still making it yours by doing it in the way you're doing it, which I, I love that. It's again respecting the process and doing making making it making it real for how you're processing cheese in the new facility. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, when I teach cheese making classes, which I've taught back at the farm on the first farm. We'd bring people in all day, make cheese with them, and then have them milk some goats for us in the evening. Um, and then recently I've been teaching cheese-making classes at New York Kitchen, which is now closer to where I'm living mm -hmm. because of the new creamery and the new farm. Um, and uh, the thing I always talk about in cheese-making is there are really only seven kinds of cheese in the world. That's it. And these are sort of, you know, those families of uh, fermentation processes that allow us to get different character to our cheese. So we're all working from those same recipes. So yes, we take inspiration from where we can find it, but it is through the prism here of having these new opportunities with the new processing facility. So it's a cheese that I could not have made before, but I had the idea for years ago and very excited to present it now. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's take a second. Let's talk through, let's talk through the, the box that I got. Um, so this again, cheese care package, it was cheer cheese care package on, um, on Instagram, right? Where you could reach out there. Yeah. So you can, you can get your cheese care package at cheesecarepackage.com. And then, yes, we also have a Instagram handle at, at cheese care package. Um, and the idea of it is that we will send you an entire cheese experience, uh, four to five cheeses, uh, uh in every box. Uh, going to send you two boxes of crackers and accoutrements, accompaniments to have with your cheese as well. So you can have everything you need to make an over-the-top, decadent, local cheese board. Um, and we ship it right to you. Again, we're all in this odd situation. Um, and many of us are getting such an opportunity to explore different aspects of ourselves. So, you know, self-reflection. Uh, I can tell you I've improved my house already. Uh, and have many, much, many, many plans to improve it more. Me too, man. This time. <laughs> and uh, in the same way, uh, we can expand our palates. So try some local cheese. There'll be our flagship products in there, but also some of these products like Jatem that's brand new. No one else ever had the chance to try, and we'll ship it right to your door. So yeah, so yeah, I want to dive in. So mm -hmm. so yeah, the two crackers. So we we got almond nut thins, which I'd never had before. It kind of plays as a rice cracker since it is also rice based, but it's got this mm -hmm. little nutty kick to it. And it's, I think the fascinating part about doing doing a cheese board experience is learning how your palate appreciates these different things, and not saying that you have to love absolutely everything on the board, but keeping an open mind to finding out what your palate enjoys. Which yeah, I think so so the uh the three different creameries that are, you know, having products selected for this uh box, uh we're, we we make a huge range of cheeses. So fresh goat cheese, sure. Uh bloomy rind cheese, camembert, uh, washed rind cheeses that that's a really strong 
earthy flavor, which there's one of those in the box. Um, and then also we make cheddars, goudas, Monterey Jacks. So you're going to get a huge range. So it'll give you the chance to try some things. Oh, I'm familiar with this. I know I like this. Here's one I maybe have tried before, but maybe not the best version. This is going to be the best version. And then here's some stuff that's out of the box that maybe you've never tried before. And who knows, you might fall in love. Might not be your favorite, but you might fall in love and discover that you really do like a washed rind sheep's milk cheese. For yeah. Yeah, we had, um, and so just the other stuff, we had these these flatbread crisps that came from Stonewall Kitchen along with a red pepper jelly and a maple bacon onion jam. Now, <laughs> those those flatbread crisps, it was like eating shortbread in a cracker form. Those things were super, mm-hmm. super addictive and amazing an amazing vehicle for, for cheese because they had their own character. They weren't just crunched. Mm. They had, and I think it's an important thing when you're looking at a cheese board experience is trying pairing, trying pairing different things together. That's why it's fascinating to have these, you know, two, like two diverse jams, having two different kinds of crackers and trying mm. through different pairings to see how things work together. And that, that was the yeah. fascinating part is, you know, taking your time really working through it. And trying to understand how each thing, you know, the interplay works. Yeah, so many people have, you know, a very traditional cheese experience, right? Where they're eating their cheese probably pretty cold right out of the fridge. uh, And they're eating it with a cracker maybe that is a Triscuit, something that's overpowering in terms Mm. of its flavor. So, you know, to have something that is mild enough to accent the cheese but not overwhelm it. Um, is really important with what you select. And then also think of flavor combinations that maybe a lot of folks haven't tried before. So when we started making fresh goat cheese, we would make sweet goat cheese, which to some people, when they've had that industrial goat cheese, they can't imagine that these flavors would go together. Oh, yeah. uh, but they do when the cheese is you know, made from fresh milk right off the farm. So um, you know, pairing fresh goat cheese or, you know, your camembert with a sweet flavor like that maple bacon onion jam, which has sweetness and then also savoriness is just really interesting, really challenging. And, and you can try the cheese by itself, try the cheese with the cracker, try the cheese with the cracker with the jam, all these different com- combinations of different taste experiences. And that's what we're trying to get across with this. Yeah. Well, I think if, if you decide to go ahead and grab one of these, which I would definitely recommend, um, is taking taking another step and adding some creativity to it on your end. Um, what I did was I I made something and I added another local product to it, um, which I do I want to talk about for a second because um, so the one I made a uh, ramp pesto. I pulled out my mortar and pestle yeah. and I made a I made a ramp pesto. It was the second week of ramps. So I pulled yeah. some down and I, I ground them up. I used a good olive oil from a nice uh, uh, Rochester company, uh, Cuisini Olive Oil. So I, 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 made a, I made a pesto, which was delightful, and gave me another thing to play around with in a savory edition. And uh, I pulled a, a wine bottle out of my cellar uh, from a local producer out towards where the uh, where your original farm was, um, from uh, Light and Buffel in the uh, Niagara region, mm-hmm. uh, from Zach Clug over there, uh, one of my buddies, and he's, mm-hmm. and what I want to talk about for a second is before we dive into more of the cheese thing is, um, wine and cheese pairing. It's it's amazing how, it's kind of a cliche in you know people that are diving into wine and pairings, they always bring up cheese as like this natural pairing, well and it can be very challenging. Um, not to say it's not to say you should be scared about doing it, but if you're really focusing on how the wine works with the cheese, um, how it's not always an interplay that works. And one of the reasons I went for the for the natural Pinot Gris from uh, from Zach's collection, um, which I don't remember what the actual name is, but it's his uh, orange wine, his uh, natural Pinot Gris, was I figured it would work well with these aged cheese, and it really did. Sometimes contrasting, sometimes merging the flavors together. Yeah, there is, um, you know, we we had a whole line of cheeses that were made to pair with wine. So we sort of took it the the opposite direction, Uh, started with the cheese and then pushed it to wine. And obviously we're in an incredible wine making region. Um, And there's so much range in the wines that can be made here as well. So, um, 
we love pairing. Um, it's just one more uh, permutation of experiencing cheese. Uh, wine can really change uh, the experience of consuming cheese. And yeah, you're right. Some some work, some don't. Um, but it's the, the you know the key when folks are feeling um, perhaps intimidated is as long as it tastes good to you, that is a good pairing. <laughs> Absolutely, that's <laughs> and, the only thing that matters. You know, we can. That's right. That's right. So, 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 um, you know, one, one thing we hope, um, and our vision for, you know, cause we don't know, uh, sort of how long we'll continue to ship directly. We, we, we weren't doing this before. Uh, it was, this is literally a brand new part of our business. Um, and so we would love the opportunity to find other local producers, uh, local wineries, local breweries. Um, and this is something that I will continue to be working on. I've pulled this together you know, this very quickly um, in the effort to get these wonderful cheeses out to the public. And I sure hope that people will buy them. So, cause these cheeses can have a home. Um, but long-term, you know, uh, we would love to work with other local producers and, and then have, have a curated box that then has curated pairings as well with other local producers, whether that be wine, whether that be other local products, you know, the example of ramps is so great, right? It's just a very, very short window that we can enjoy that. And, you know, the opportunity to take advantage of that with cheese, this is the time to do it. It yeah. right? doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. This is the time to enjoy ramps and cheese and wine. Yeah, that's, and it's, su- it's sure. such an exceptional product for it. You know, it bring, you know, brings that vegetal, that, you know, that sharpness, but in a very approachable way that doesn't, like you said, doesn't dominate the other flavors. Um, right. Which is why I went for the natural wine, especially when we were talking about these aged cheese, like the, um, like you mentioned, the goat brie. I mean, it's... It's another, it's a, it's a great, it's an approach that I really appreciated because it was, it's a cheese that it's not, again, it's not a dumbed down brie. This isn't a just cream brie and it's not, it was unreservedly a brie that a brie lover would enjoy, but it also wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't too intense where somebody that hadn't tasted a real runny brie that had some character to it would be scared away by, which I really, I appreciated everything about that. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So that's, that's another new one. That's our uh, new moon goat brie. Uh, brie is traditionally made with cow's milk and usually some addition of cream. Uh, our innovation with this one was to make it from pure whole goat's milk coming off the farm. And mm. the cheese that we sent to you and very indicative of the cheeses we will be sending, you know, that brie is at its peak of ripeness. So, so many people, when they consume industrial brie uh, it's made through a process called uh, stabilization they stabilize the paste to give it a long shelf life well traditional brie is not meant to sit on a shelf for three months it's just not um and so it it has a shorter shelf life and what you get at the beginning versus the cheese that you got um which you know has that traditional white rind you cut into it and the interior paste literally just runs out. Um, but the paste itself is still very, very mild. The rind is just starting to take on some of those stronger flavors. So again, many experiences of that cheese within the same product, right? You can have just the paste, just the interior, which you can spread like butter. It's just, just over the top, just decadent. Mm. You combine that with the rind, and then now you're getting a little bit more of that acidity, a little more of that mouthfeel. Um, but that is a cheese that is a perfect example of a cheese that I could never send to a store at that condition because they want shelf life, right? But in this case, I can send that cheese to you at exactly the right time to consume it. So that's, that's, that's the incredible thing that we're getting right now is saying, this is our interpretation of this cheese. This is the best version of this cheese, and it's going to show up on your doorstep ready to go. Yeah, and it, exciting. it really showed in all of them um, from that, you know, uh, the Jetem, which you know, I thought was pretty dynamite. Uh, the Camembert from Old Chatham was, again, I thought it was another, a great approach to tasting, you know, everything that we tasted had seemed to have a reason. And maybe I was just putting too much on it, but the Camembert had this, it was, again, an approach to Camembert that was very, again, this was probably one of the easiest ones beyond maybe the, uh, the Gouda. But this right. one, like perfectly paired with that bright acidic and sweet pepper jelly that was in the box. Mm -hmm. You know, it was creamy, mild, salty, good, you know, rounded flavor, but you never, Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you're being talked down to. And that's, that's the thing I love about these kind of cheeses that are from real producers. 
you never feel like you're being talked down to. It still feels like a real thing all the time. Well, I hope so. That's certainly our, our goal. And that particular cheese is the one uh, that won number two in the country uh, last year. This is a pretty special cheese. Um, it is made with a blend of fresh sheep's milk off the farm, cow's milk, and cow's milk cream. It is actually, by standard of identity, a triple cream. So mm. that over-the-top decadence that you experience, that's on purpose. Um, and the idea of pairing that with something that's going to be bright, have a little sweetness to it, is exactly you, – you, you hit that one on the head, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of the combination that we wanted you to have. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, a cheese, that's our flagship uh, for Old Chatham. Um, and then we've got a lot of innovation happening on top of that. So, you know, you're going to get the standards that are the ones that we've been making for a quarter century that are, you know, award-winning, literally one of the top two cheeses in the country in 2019 coming direct to your door at just the right ripeness. Yeah, I thought I thought it was exceptional, and I'm that's it's great to hear that other people agree with me. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of the Gouda, I think this the Gouda is kind of the if you're less familiar with these kind of cheeses, the Gouda is a great intro to a high quality cheese. Um, you know, yep. nutty, great texture. I thought this made a perfect pairing with the ramp pesto I made because it brought that nuttiness mm. and that just that little bit of that salty kick. And I thought it was, it played amazing on the savory side of things. Um, but still made with a great mm. local product and something that if you want to start getting people into this kind of stuff, you know, the good is a great way of doing that. Again, you're just hitting it right on the head. So that's exactly our idea, right? Um, as long as I've been making cheese, I've been trying to bring people over to my side of the way I like to enjoy cheese, which is small ruminant cheese, goat, goat's milk cheeses, of course, and sheep's milk cheeses. And the idea of a three milk cheese uh, that has you know, a lot of complexity from the sheep and goat, but is accessible because it is cow's milk as well. Um, and our goal with that one is to, you know, that's your introduction. That's a great one to try if you haven't been exposed to these little more complex cheeses because it will give you that window in to, you know, the, the world of complexity you're going to continue to taste through the entire package. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little surprised you didn't go with um, small ruminant as the name of the farm versus first light. I think it's just as catchy personally. <laughs> <laughs> small um, ruminant. Yeah. I, I get, I tend to get a little technical in my descriptions, which I think is a downfall when you're trying to tell your story, but um, depends. No, first light works better because that, that it very much exemplifies the work that we did have done for all these years. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, we're up with the sun, uh, you know, getting that first milk in the tank so that we can make cheese um, and first light also just, you know, connoting the fact that first quality milk, you know, products that are light and easy to eat and accessible. Um, we always want to make sure that we're bringing people in to try something that before maybe they haven't had the best experience with. And we're going to give you something that you can enjoy, uh, has a little more complexity, but it's still approachable for sure. Yeah. And it's a, uh... It's a little bit harder to go into the detail. Um, I know, I know, Polly, if you listen to this, um, it's a little bit harder to go into this kind of detail and the, on the quick hits, you know, the quicker hits that he does on his show. Um, and it's, I'm always glad to talk through the the detail because I think it's so important when you have the time to do it that I think people should, you know, take the time to taste these things, take the time to really digest them mentally, digest them on your palate. And, you know, give them the respect and, you know, spend your spend your dollars in places that are doing things the right way. Um, and this. Yeah. There, yeah. Go ahead. There, there's a lot of things you're, you're touching on so many things that I, I want to talk about. Um, and, and I am not someone that uh, does very well in sound bites. I do like something that's lo uh, longer format because it's a complicated process. Um, but the last thing you touched on is really important. Right. Which is. This is a really important time for the local food movement. Uh, you know, everybody hears about the plates with the restaurants and those plates are real and they're just as real for the, you know, the places that supply those restaurants that are local. Um, and in this time, when we have time to reflect, time to think about the choices that we make, um, you know, we will come out on the other side of this and the world will be different. It will. Um, and we can choose right now the kind of world that we want it to be. And the unfortunate thing is if we don't vote right now by buying from local producers, they may not be around when the world comes back to normal. We, we need to support them. I'm not just saying support me uh, and support the 129 full-time employees 
that work every day right now yeah. uh, to bring this food to our local community, but all local producers, right? There, there, there's so many stories out there um, and folks have the opportunity to make choices right now. You're in your house. You can have more time to experience food and think about it a little more consciously um, and hopefully learn something about your palate, you know, your family, the interaction that you have and, and, and make different choices perhaps going forward. Yeah. And I think it's, and obviously it's within the context of how the situation is affecting you. You know, we're not telling people that have, you know, lost their jobs and doing this thing. But for those of us like myself that are lucky enough and privileged enough to have jobs that allow us to work from home and where our effect is, you know, just, hey, I can't go do the things I would love to be doing right now. Um, now, now is the time to use some of that expendable income to um, send to places that need it. And, you know, places are also offering you something fantastic to taste as well, whether, whether it be this cheese box, whether it be a local winery, whether it be um, some of the local restaurants that are doing, um, doing, um, I'd say proper, proper takeout techniques, um, and buying from your local, uh, farms. If you have the chance to, uh, visit a farmer's market, the Rochester public market, um, buy from your local farms and support them directly. Um, it makes a big difference. And a lot of them are working, a lot of the places are working even harder, uh, than they have been to mm-hmm. try and supply good food to people. So um, it's, a, it's a great time to focus your dollars on the places that truly need it. So I don't, I don't want to cajole people. That's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. But um, if, you have, if you're lucky enough to not be affected in a visceral way um, by the whole situation, that, now's, now's the time. Now's the time to to focus and try to push it onto places that you truly love and hopefully new places that you get to experience as well. So um, now I'll get off my soapbox here. for a minute. <laughs> here, here. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, no, it, it's, um, you know, the places that you want to continue to exist. Now's the time to support them because many of them will not uh, unless they have your support. That's, that's just, just the reality. Um, Absolutely. So, yep. So carepackage.com. Yes, exactly. Right. And I want to finish off with what I thought was the easily the most interesting cheese out of the bunch. This was a washed orange rind cheese. I don't know what this actually was. So I just went purely on purely on my experience with it. I want to talk about the experience and I'd like to know a little bit more about what it actually was. This is so if you gave somebody just the one cheese on here that you want to, you need to spend the most mental effort on, this is the one. Mm. This one I got high mushroom notes. Not necessarily the, a lot of the base notes right away, but the high mushroom notes, like the high notes in white button mushrooms and chanterelles. It had smoothness, mm. but this this one, this had some of that some of that down and dirty earthiness that comes from mm. these these kind of cheeses. This is one you got to sit with. This one you got to work with. This is this is also one that some people aren't going to like, and I don't say that as a negative about the cheese itself, but it has a very distinct and intense character. This is not a mild cheese. This one has, this one's got you want to work through it. This is one where I ended up with the bacon onion jam being the kind of perfect combination where the smoke and that caramelized flavor, the maple, all those things work together where they built on each other. They didn't contrast. And it kind of built mm-hmm. into this cohesive whole because that funk, because of that interest that was there, I thought that's where that came in. And out of all of mm-hmm. them, that that jam worked there the most because of that integration of the flavors. It tamed it just that bare amount to kind of make mm-hmm. it harmonious. Yeah, so let me give you the backstory quickly on that cheese. Uh, so that is uh, R&D. When I say R&D, I have research and development cheese, meaning yeah. that this is a cheese that you know I get to enjoy uh, several times a week, uh, but no one outside the creamery and those in their immediate families get to enjoy until we decide that it's perfect and ready to go out. This was made, uh, started its life as a bloomy rind cheese, mm. uh, Kinderhook Mini. Uh, which is one of the old Chatham flagships. Okay. Um, and in this case, they took one 
when they made that cheese, they took one stack of that and then moved it into the wash rind area. Now, wash rind cheeses, similar to what I described with Jatem, have a secondary growth. Now, what we're doing is we're washing the outside of the cheese. Very traditionally, it's being washed in a, in a, a brine um, and sometimes with other forms of alcohol. Beer is very traditional. That's traditional wash rind. When you're introducing those yeasts in that, in that aging process, what you're doing is you're selecting for brevibacteria linens. Brevibacteria linens gives it that orange color mm. that you would have seen right out of the gate. Um, that rind can, at different points of its age, be quite different. Uh, it can, it starts very um, mild, but over time gets quite pungent, the rind itself. Uh, that brevibacteria linens is a very specific flavor, uh, smell experience, olfactory experience. The interior of the cheese is being affected by that. Um, and then actually when you get through the rind of the cheese, the experience of eating the paste is a much, much different feeling. Very, very meaty, very nutty, very strong, very earthy, like you're talking about. You did hit it on the head again. Um, <laughs> in terms of the experience with the maple bacon onion jam, that is the pairing we wanted to see. Wow, um, look at and, that. Uh, that cheese, <laughs> and that cheese is washed every day for 30 days before wow. it's ready to send out. Wow. Um, and so it's a work-intensive cheese. It's a cheese that changes dramatically over its aging period. Um, and it's one that you can experience the olfactory, the, the sort of strong footy uh, smell to it, mm -hmm. um, which is a good descriptor in cheese. Um, and then you, you can sort of combine that with the interior of the paste. And that one, again, that one is just at its perfect uh, experience right now uh, with the age that it's at. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, that's the last one you should get to, right? If you're progressing through, it's the most complicated. It's the one you should sit with the longest and certainly just ponder. Um, and, and as you get through that cheese, you know, that's one that will open up the rest of the world because sheep's milk as a, as a raw ingredient, this one is just over the top. I mean, seven and a half percent butter fat. I mean, it's just excellent, excellent whole milk yeah. and makes for a really nice balance with that stronger flavor. Yeah. Really cool, man. So, um, well, just, I really appreciate the time. Uh, this was, I've been wanting to talk to you guys, uh, for a while and this is, I thought this is a great opportunity to do so and a great opportunity to support, you know, this, uh, new creamery project and everything going into it. So, uh, cheesecarepackage.com. And if you are going out to grocery stores, you can find first light products in, uh, in many of them, and buy it. It's a it's an exceptional uh, chev, exceptional other cheeses as well, a hundred percent worth doing. And shout out to the podcast I did just before this. Um, like I said, I've been eating um, I've been eating vegan. I instead of just keeping the rest here, um, my wife kept the gouda because that was her favorite. Um, but I gave it to one of my friends and tried to share the experience awesome. with somebody else. So we cut part out, and I gave him uh, the bulk of the rest of it and he had no idea what any of this was he wasn't as familiar and he adored the experience he made a cheese board with his, with his family and essentially did what we talked about without without having instruction or anything else so i think it just goes to show that if this these kind of products show up on your doorstep it's it just brings that experience together for your for you and your family and it's uh, 100% worth doing so um, I was glad I got awesome. to share it with somebody else as well. Well, that's exactly what we're hoping for. Um, and we do include in every package uh, a description of the cheeses. So even though they might be brand new cheeses that no one has ever tasted, we give you a, a primer on how to taste it. We tell you a little bit about cheese history. We tell you about the people that are making this cheese. Uh, we do share those stories inside every box so you can have that connection. And then we would love to hear from you after that, you know, um, that, you know, not everybody's got a podcast, but everybody can send me an email um, and tell me about their experience and, and let us know. This is something I enjoyed. This is something I would have liked to see. Uh, this is the incredible thing about connecting with folks in this way. Very similar to what we started off doing uh, 12 years ago, being at farmers markets, talking to people and advocating for what we're doing and trying to, you know, have that communal communal experience uh, with our local community. So that's exactly the idea. And uh, we really would appreciate everybody visiting cheesecarepackage.com and uh, having that experience as well. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate the time. And uh, 
Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Check out First Light, CheeseCarePackage.com. And thanks for, talking, yeah, thanks for talking, man, and I will see you out at the farmer's markets at some point. Sounds great. Sounds great. Thank you, Chris.